Welcome to Category Visionaries, the show dedicated to exploring exciting visions for the future from the founders who are on the front lines building it. In each episode, we'll speak with a visionary founder who's building a new category or reimagining an existing one. We'll learn about the problem they solve, how their technology works, and unpack their vision for the future. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Taylor Lint, CEO and founder of Swantide, a go-to-market technology platform that's raised $7 million in funding. Taylor, thanks for chatting with me today. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, no problem. So to kick things off, could we just start with a quick summary of who you are and maybe a bit more about your background? Yeah, for sure. So like you mentioned, I'm the founder and CEO of Swantide, and my background's in software engineering. I started my career as a software engineer at LinkedIn. Then I went over to Alphabet to an incubator there and actually spun my product and team out of Alphabet into a standalone company called Replica. We built that for a little while. And then I left to start Swantide about three years ago now. Um, And we're tackling this problem of automating the management of the go-to-market tech stack. What was it like working at Sidewalk Labs? That's a company I hear a lot about or used to hear a lot about. What was that experience like? Yeah, I mean, it was really cool. It was really, you know, I think the reason people were so fascinated by it was because it was a really unique opportunity to bring together folks from very different backgrounds of people that had worked in government and public policy and city planning with people that had worked in tech. And we were given a lot of freedom to try to to bring products to life that could leverage both parties' kind of expertise. And so my team was focused on ways to make cities more data-driven. And the product that we ended up building uh, called that became the company Replica was basically a model that uh, replaced work you might hire consultants to go do for short and long-term planning related to movement in cities. Hmm, Super interesting. Now, a couple of other questions that we'd like to ask, really just to better understand what makes you tick as a founder. First one, what CEO and founder or what CEO or founder do you admire the most and what do you admire about them? Yeah. So a founder that I really admire um, and I'm lucky enough to have invest in our seed round is Mathilde Collin, the CEO and, and founder of Front. And the reason for that is I think her blog has been really helpful to me as I've built out various parts of my company. She writes about her process with kind of everything from fundraising and how she goes about that and her actual decks that she uses to things like her all hands and the decks that she uses in all hands. And it's really tactical advice that you can really easily follow and kind of tweak and implement to make your own. And I really admire that she takes the time to do that for other founders. Nice. I love that. What about books? Is there a specific book that's had a major impact on you as a founder? Yeah, I think one that comes to mind, I actually read for the first time in college, The Design of Everyday Things. I read it for a course. I don't know if you've read it, but it brought together for me kind of like all these different classes I've been taking in computer science and design and like into a single really like applicable real world examples. And so I've read it a a few times since then throughout my career as well. Yeah, I have a rule for the podcast. If I hear a book recommended three times, then I go and buy it on Amazon right after the interview. And and that's the (laughs) third time. So I'll have to grab a copy now. Okay, great. Yeah. Now let's dive a bit deeper into Swantide. So first off, where did the name come from? I love the name. It's very, very fun to say. Oh, gosh. Okay. It's not... (laughs) There's no good story here. I guess the story is that it's easy to spell and the dot com was free and it's a made up word. So it, like the SEO 
you know, we knew we, we could win with that. You type in Swan Tide and we're what comes out because it's completely made up. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I like it. You could have just bullshitted the story there. And I know. I got that story. It's like your childhood cat. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, let's dive deeper into the actual solution and, and the product. So can you give us the, the high level overview? Yeah. So what we're doing with Swan Tide is we're automating the management of the go-to-market tech stack. And we've started with the most pressing problem, which is getting your CRM up and running and then managing it as your sales and marketing process changes. So we started with this initial product of Salesforce. We recently launched our HubSpot beta. And our long-term vision is to sit on top of the entire go-to-market tech stack and be a single source of truth for you to, to define your data model and your configurations in these systems manage changes, be alerted on, you know, how a change in one system could impact other changes. Um, and that's kind of, that's what we're building. And take us back to, I believe you launched in 2020. Take us back to 2020. What What's the origin story behind the company? Yeah. So like I mentioned, my background's in software engineering. And when I was at LinkedIn and Alphabet, which we talked about this a little bit, I had worked on products that were automating or augmenting large professional services industries. So I, at LinkedIn, was lucky enough to be on the team that built out their Talent Insights product, which LinkedIn had run for a long time as a consulting arm. Um, and we built it into a self-serve platform. And with Replica, we also built a product that was something cities would often and then go and hire consultants for to have them build these reports with data that was often out of date and not very robust. And so we had aggregated a bunch of different data sources and built a self-serve product that let them generate these reports kind of as they need them, when they needed them, with fresher data. And so what I realized from both of those experiences that was that I really loved making kind of, you know, older industries automating their work processes and going after these spaces that had been largely served by manual work and being able to make the work product more efficient, higher quality, and cheaper for the end customer. So that drew me to this space um, of automating the go-to-market tech stack because of really just how painful the problem is managing these tools and how large the market is. So I don't know how familiar you are with it or some of the listeners, but for every dollar people spend on Salesforce, they spend over $5 managing it. And this problem of, of managing the go-to-market tech stack has become increasingly more complex in the last five or so years as there's been more and more tools that you're integrating with these systems. They're no longer operating in isolation of each other, but there's so much data moving around. Um, it's very cross-functional, like sales, marketing, CS, finance, these teams, everybody's selling the same product. And now these tools are talking to each other as well. But the systems, the way that, that teams manage these tools hasn't really changed at all. And so looking at this problem as an engineer, our hypothesis was you could really cut down on a lot of the cost and inefficiencies and in managing these systems if folks had access to the same type of tooling that engineers have to manage their tech stacks. So I spent the first year, really year and a half, just doing market research and trying to understand this problem, this space from all angles. So talking to CROs and heads of sales and marketing, Salesforce consultants, rev ops, obviously sales ops, marketing ops, sales reps, like the end users that are using Salesforce, anyone that kind of touches this problem to understand, you know, why is this so painful? How does it impact your work? Like, what are ways this has caused major issues at your business? And trying to figure out how we could make that easier and start automating it. And I see you launched in March 2020. Uh, I remember that 
time period, there's a lot going on in the world. What was that like launching a company in the midst of COVID? Yeah, I had left my job like the end of February or first week of March, right before everything shut down. So it was definitely a little nerve wracking to be like, oh, okay, I just willingly left my job. But it ended up really being a great time to start a company because like I mentioned, we were doing market research for that first year. So the early days of COVID, everyone was willing to get on Zoom because they weren't they didn't have Zoom fatigue yet. So we were, you know, we're emailing people, reaching out to them, and they were more than happy to get on the phone with us and talk through, answer our questions about what they do, what were their problems, like all of those things. So it ended up really being for the best that people were kind of stuck at home and, and wanted to talk to people. And what was it like when you were landing those first paying customers? Can you talk us through that whole process and maybe some of the lessons that you learned along the way? Yeah. So the way we built the product was really like we because we were validating the idea and the, the scalability of building a product to solve this problem, we started taking paying customers pretty early and we were building the product with them. Like we were really lucky that they were, you know, willing to to take a chance on us for setting up and managing their sales force. I think the nice thing about this problem is that, you know, people know they're going to pay for it. It's a problem that exists and we built the product with them where we were keeping track of every single thing someone wanted to do in their sales force. And then we were building to start scripts that would automate that. And then we turned it into our product like on the back end and we turned it into a tool that engineering no longer had to be involved to write these automations. And then we eventually launched our product that's customer facing uh, last fall. And when you look at the customers that you're working with, is it typically like a head of sales or is it a head of go to market? Who's that typical buyer that you're working with? Great question. So our product that we launched last fall that helps automate the setup and management of Salesforce, a lot of our customers, maybe half or two thirds, are buying swan tied at that inflection point of they've just bought their CRM or they're about to buy their CRM and they need to set it up. And so at early stage companies, it can be almost like anyone. It can be the head of sales. It could be the founder. Sometimes it's the CTO, it could be BizOps, chief of staff. It might be the founding AE could even be in like an SDR. And then it transitions though pretty quickly to eventually being RevOps or it might go through like BizOps and then and then RevOps eventually is our end user. This show is brought to you by Frontlines Media, a podcast production studio that helps B2B founders launch, manage, and grow their own podcast. Now, if you're a founder, you may be thinking, I don't have time to host a podcast. I've got a company to build. Well, that's exactly what we built our service to do. You show up and host and we handle literally everything else. To set up a call to discuss launching your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. Now back to today's episode. I know today you're focused on Salesforce. Do you have any plans to expand outside of Salesforce? Yeah. So we actually, we have a HubSpot beta right now for HubSpot CRM, and then we'll start adding other integrations from there. Our goal is to sit on top of your entire go-to-market tech stack so we can be that single source of truth for your configurations across all of these systems because none of them operate in isolation anymore. You know, a change in one system, a change in your Salesforce or a change in your, you know, whatever tool you use for outreach most likely has implications for other tools in your go-to-market tech stack and could cause issues that you can't really anticipate if you just have it all in your head of how they all work together. What's a normal go-to-market tech stack look like? Like, what are some of those categories of tools that most commonly a team's going to have? Yeah, so it depends a little bit on your motion, but the first thing that people are buying is generally their CRM. 
And the sales team is the one, you know, owning that and they're using it as their single source of truth for their pipeline. And then it's if you have an inbound motion, you know, you probably have a marketing automation tool as well. If you have an outbound motion, you're probably using some kind of sequencing tool like Apollo or Outreach. If you have a product-led growth motion, then you probably are wanting to sync some product data into Salesforce. You might be using a PLG tool to analyze that data and get it to your reps. And then your customer success team is probably using a tool as well. Your finance team is definitely using some kind of tool and they might want to integrate into Salesforce eventually. So it depends a little bit on your motion, but there's a standard tech stack that kind of all works together. And each of those tools has a job that they're best at and that they're responsible for. And then they can all kind of work together and go together. In in the early days, was it hard to make that decision to build on top of Salesforce to start with? Like, were you debating to start with HubSpot first or someone else? Or was it just clear that Salesforce was the obvious choice? Yeah. I mean, I think one thing that Salesforce has done that's great is they've really embraced their partner ecosystem and they have really robust APIs. So like everything that you can do as an end admin in Salesforce, you can do with the API. And so that made it a really easy choice because we knew that we could automate everything and that that's like a core part of their DNA is having those open APIs. And we've seen, you know, every other tool is starting to follow because if you want to have those enterprise customers, if you want to have version control over these enterprise applications, then those APIs have to be open. But from talking to, you know, in all of our customer or all of our market research, we talked to hundreds of companies and Salesforce made the most sense for us to start with. What about your market category? So I introduced you as a go-to-market technology platform, but that didn't really feel like a category at all. And I, I couldn't figure out the category when I was going through the website. So do you have views yet on what the market category is, or are you going to worry about that maybe six or 12 months down the road? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really good question. And it's something that we talk about a lot internally, because it's kind of like we're both a new category and redefining an existing one. This problem has been around as long as as Salesforce has and is managing any enterprise application has, but it's been owned by consultants or internal headcount or freelancers. And with Swantide, you know, we're a software platform and we're we're changing the way people are doing this work or augmenting what those consultants are doing, allowing them to do it faster, have it documented automatically, all of these things that are like little paper cuts that they they don't want to do anyways. And so yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the things that's a challenge for us on the go-to-market side that is exciting too. Is there a, a certain segment of consultants then who view you in a hostile way and they're like, oh, Taylor's coming and disrupting everything and you know, eating our lunch and, and changing things? Like, are there some that maybe aren't a big fan of what you're doing? You know, I think that this space is so big. There's enough tech debt for everyone to go after with managing the go-to-market tech stack. And I think a lot of consultants we talk to really view this as a way for them to be more efficient too. And that, you know, there's work that they don't want to do or that it's really hard to hire people with the skill set to set up and manage Salesforce. So for them, some of the consultants that use our tool now, like for them, this is a great way for them to like build more business and to get things done quicker and then be able to focus on something that's maybe more strategic or, you know, requires a consultant that has more experience. And 
regardless of the title that you're going after, so if it's sales or customer success or go-to-market or RevOps or even founders, everyone right now just is dealing with a lot of noise and there's a lot of noise in the market. What are you doing from a you know, tactic perspective to rise above that noise and get people to really pay attention to what you're doing and what you're building? Yeah, great question. I think kind of in general, both internally, like with our customers and then externally on the marketing and sales side, what we've tried to focus on is really being experts and building trust with our customers. You know, one of the like core parts of our product is that for early stage companies, like we do have opinions on the best ways to set up some of these processes. Like that's inherent in using our application is that there's an opinionated way to do certain things. And so we are really thoughtful in how we work with customers and what we recommend and that we try to do that across CS, sales and marketing and provide our our technical expertise as much as we can. And in your journey so far, if you reflect on everything that's happened over the last few years, what would you say has been your greatest go-to-market challenge and how do you overcome it? Well, I'm sure every founder right now would tell you that their greatest go-to-market challenge is the overall macroeconomic climate. But I think specific to us, the most challenging thing is really like what I mentioned earlier about the diversity of roles that buy Salesforce at an early stage company. And a lot of times those, it might be somebody's first time setting up a CRM or buying a CRM. And so there's an education component that goes along with that. But then for each of those different roles, what they care about, you know, like what their responsibilities are and what they value are very different. So the education piece has to be different as well. If you're talking to a technical founder, like talking about tech debt and why you need to get this right the first time for scalability for your business, and it's very similar to, you know, building your product itself, that can really resonate. Or, you know, someone in like BizOps or a chief of staff role that like they're used to doing functions that they've never done before. Like they're really excited that this is going to be a lot of best practices. It's what other fast growing startups are using. And that's what excites them and kind of like hooks them in the sale. So I think that's probably one of the biggest challenges that we've had is just building out the different pieces of education for personas that have not ever encountered this problem before. And from a like user journey perspective on the website, are you navigating these different personas into like different paths on the website? Or what are you doing from like a website perspective just to, to cater to that different buyer personas that exist? Yeah, that's a great question. It's actually something we're actively working on right now. We'll be rolling out soon as an update to the website that's even like a little bit more granular than what we have right now. Because what I just talked about was only really for early stage startups. And then we also have you know, features and functionality that are targeted towards the RevOps persona as well. And RevOps itself also has people with various different backgrounds. Like RevOps can sit under sales, it can sit under IT, it can sit under finance, and someone could have a super technical like Salesforce admin or Salesforce engineer background, or they could come from strategy, or they could come from sales engagement. And so like their own kind of knowledge of the system and the space and the gaps that they have that they're trying to fill on their team are also different. And so that's that's like an, another part of the challenge too. And final couple of questions for you. What's the number one piece of advice you'd give yourself if you were just starting the company again today? I think it would be just enjoying the process at all of the different phases because, you know, the job is basically different, it feels like, every week. And so it's constantly changing. And final question, let's zoom out into the future. So let's say three to five years from today, can you just paint a picture for us for what that vision is that you're trying to build? 
Yeah. So like I mentioned, we want to be the the source of truth and the central hub for managing all the tools in your go-to-market tech stack. So if you're making a change to your sales process or you know, you're launching a new product line, like, and that's touching sales and marketing and CS and finance, all of the systems that have to get configured to go along with that process change, that offline change, we want you to be able to make those changes in Swantide and update all of those those systems from a single place in Swantide. And we're really excited as we're looking at our at our roadmap to be introducing more of this integration functionality, really accelerating some of our roadmap with the advancements in AI over the last few months. And yeah, the long-term goal is to really cut down on the cost and spend managing these systems and eliminate as much tech debt as possible. Amazing. I love it. All right. Well, we are up on time, so we're going to have to wrap here. Before we do, if people want to follow along with your journey as you continue to build, where should they go? You can follow us on LinkedIn, the Swantides on LinkedIn, or my personal LinkedIn, or anyone on the team's LinkedIn. Amazing. Taylor, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show, talk about what you're building, and share some of those lessons that you've learned along the way. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I know the audience is going to as well. So thanks so much for taking the time. Yeah, thank you. All right, keep in touch. This episode of Category Visionaries is brought to you by Frontlines Media, Silicon Valley's leading podcast production studio. If you're a B2B founder looking for help launching and growing your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. And for the latest episode, search for Category Visionaries on your podcast platform of choice. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode.